We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's going on, everyone? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. I'm your host, Max Torres, publisher and lead editor of Ducks Digest, covering the Oregon Ducks for Sports Illustrated on Fan Nation. Welcome into our special Friday episode, Friday Flock Talk. Uh, doing a, try to do a, like a recurring feature here on the channel. Um, and this one specifically with Friday Flock Talk, we kind of just want to keep it open-ended, right? Any kind of duck talk that we want to have. Obviously, we're a, a football-centric site and channel, so we're definitely going to be talking a lot of football today. But if you guys are here in the uh, live chat on YouTube at Oregon Football Max Taurus, thanks so much for stopping by. Definitely head on over to the live chat section and throw your comments and questions our way. If you're here on YouTube, you can see I am joined by uh, my good friend, Ryan Winter, a.k.a. Sports Chat 503. What's going on, man? Thanks for stopping by. Uh, thank you so much, Max. Appreciate you, man. Absolutely. Always uh, always glad to have you come on by. Um, we were we were going to have Steven, but he had, uh, had some stuff come up with work, so uh, we had to pivot, and uh, I always love talking ducks with you, so... Appreciate you stopping by. We're going to start today's video off with the breaking news of the day. UCLA transfer wide receiver Chase Coda will be returning to his home state of Oregon to play his final year of college football. Man, this is some pretty big news, Ryan. What do you think? I mean, I like it just for obviously, you know, the name on the back of the jersey in a green and yellow is going to feel good again for us old school Duck fans, uh, obviously with his family heritage and obviously connected to Breeze family as well. And it's just a great day uh, for Oregon. And this is kind of the coolest thing I think about the transfer portal. I think the transfer portal kind of gives a chance for kids to go home a little bit. And, uh, you know, we saw with Jordan Happel uh, having a good uh, end, end to his career and be, being able to be a duck. And I think this is going to be a good opportunity for Chase as well. And I, I don't know if Chase was utilized as well that well down there. I think he was great. Uh, he's a good athlete, uh, very fast. And uh, I think he has an opportunity to do some things here, being a leader and going into a room that's uh, fairly light right now. Yeah, I think that's one of the biggest things that stands out about this edition is having that uh, that veteran position, right? Uh, veteran presence, rather. Uh, you can see No Quarter Tie talking about in the chat. Uh, glad to see a veteran come in. Uh, I think that's definitely one of the the best parts about this edition. You obviously talk about the the fact that Coda is able to come home. That's awesome. Uh, the Ducks were also able to add Justice Lowe, an in-state product, late in the 2022 cycle after he decommitted from Utah. So. The state of Oregon is going to be well represented on this roster without a doubt. And that's not even mentioning guys like Keith Brown, Alex Forsyth, Ryan Walk, Cam McCormick. Like there's a bunch of ducks, Patrick Herbert. Like we can go on and there's a bunch of guys from the state 
But uh, I think that's really cool. I feel like that's a new thing that the staff is definitely emphasizing. I'm not sure how much of a role it played necessarily with Coda coming from the portal, but it's really cool to see the state represented on this roster. Yeah, and I think, you know, going forward, I think that's an important thing. Not only does it get people interested with the storylines, and obviously families are connected, easier for people to go see, but, you know, not everybody wants to stay at home. A lot of kids, you know, I work with high school kids, and kids want to go. Kids want to explore. Kids want to go different places. They want to create their own path, you know. Uh, And so you can't fault them for that. But there's also, there's the opportunity, maybe at the end of your career, maybe it didn't pan out the way you thought it was going to. And maybe there was another opportunity to come back home and do do it again. And I think if you ask Jace Code, I think growing up, he was a Duck fan, obviously, has an opportunity. You know, Chip Kelly was a big part of that. Now, Chip Kelly was hired like literally like a week or two before Coda signed down there. So that was a big deal. And it was a big deal for the Coda family because obviously as Ducks, uh, we have a love affair with uh, Chip. And I think that was a big deal right when they signed Chip. There was a lot of buzz that this was going to be a great situation. They're going to bring the band back together. It was going to be just like Oregon, but down in LA. And just a unique opportunity for him to go down there. They just he just really didn't get the production. I don't think that he wanted. And uh, he he became somewhat of more of a blocking uh, uh, wide receiver, which he would have been here had he been here anyway through the Cristobal era. So I think he gets an opportunity to. They say they're going to try to run a lot of plays on this offense. and going to be a pro style. That means, in my mind, you're going to have a <clears throat> for the most part quarterback in the pocket throwing the ball around. Obviously, that'd be a great situation for any wide receiver. And I think that's what's going to happen here. I think wide receiver group's going to get fed much more during this new uh, offense. It really did make a lot of sense with him going to UCLA initially, you know, growing up watching the the Chip Kelly era of Oregon football and that innovation. But I think that, you know, you talk about innovation with Kelly and then looking at what Oregon kind of projects to be in 2022, what what people are hoping it's going to be, a, a very innovative offense. Um, I like the point that you had about, you know, even if he came to Oregon, he would probably be a blocking tight end or wide receiver uh, in the first place, just because of the way that we saw Cristobal and, and that staff, you know, utilize the wideouts previously. But um, looking at his production at UCLA in 2021 and, and last season, 18 catches for 286 yards and, and just one touchdown. And that came early in the year against LSU, which was, you know, that huge upset game that, that had a lot of people buzzing about Pac-12 football, certainly about the Bruins program. But I think this move makes a ton of sense, right? I think that it definitely explains why Oregon wasn't taking a receiver out of the transfer portal, um, you know, for as long as they did. I, I think I was I was talking about this a while ago. I, I was kind of just wondering myself, like, how are they not adding either a 2022 wide receiver? We saw them eventually add Justice Lowe, but still very thin at the position in the 2022 class. And then they didn't add anyone from the portal. So I was kind of thinking to myself, you're telling me there's nobody that wants to come play wide receiver at the University of Oregon? like. That just doesn't make sense to me. But obviously, you know, this must have been in, in the works for a while. But uh, it really makes a lot of sense with him coming back to his home state. Um, he can be that veteran guy for Oregon that they need. He's he's 6'3", I believe, uh, 209 pounds is what he's listed on in the UCLA uh, roster. And, um, you know, he's definitely a, a real speedy guy. I think that's something that he was really known for when he was coming out of South Medford in 2018. And uh, the Ducks definitely have a need at wide receiver. So it, it really felt like with this one, it was kind of a matter of when, not if, just when you look at all the factors that were at play with his dad, him being a local and, and all that stuff. 
Yeah, and I said that to uh, Brady, and Brady's <clears throat> a little bit of a sport chat fan himself, so shouts out to the Breeze family. Oh, and cousin Brady, okay. Let's go. And so, you know, the Southeast Portland, uh, you know, Central Catholic connection, whatever else it may be, but I, I have a little bit of communication back and forth with him over time, and that was early in the conversation as soon as we said, ooh, it wouldn't, be, wouldn't it be nice to see, you know, and, and, uh, and he just gave me the thumbs up because basically when you look at the ideology of this, like you said, it makes sense. It makes sense for the family. It gives people kind of the, the chance to kind of rehab this. And, you know, there's no hard feelings any from anywhere perspective, but that one did kind of hurt him. And obviously Alex Molden, you know, both were such legends. And during that time frame, when all of a sudden you lose both of their kids, it felt like that was a real gut punch because, you know, you want to see those kids go to the school that, they grew up loving and they grew up supporting. And then all of a sudden when they see him go to different places in the Pac-12 as well, uh, you know, that was a little rough, but I think uh, people are, are really just ready to see him be productive. I think that's the main thing. I, I've been a fan of him. I get, when I watch the UCLA games, I watch for him, uh, you know, just being an Oregon kid. So I just, I, I'm excited to see him back. And more importantly, I'm excited to see code on the back of the Jersey. Again, I think it brings a lot of people in my generation, uh, a lot of good feelings to kind of see that uh, family come back into the fold. No doubt, man. Yeah. If you guys are on YouTube, I'm, I'm sharing my screen right now and you can see Brady breeze quote tweeting uh, Chase's commitment video where Chase says coming home. And then yeah. Brady says green and yellow runs in the family. Congrats. Cuzzo. So <laughs> definitely cool to, to see that family connection coming into play. Um, and it's interesting too, Ryan, when we were talking about uh, you know, how much landing in the new staff is uh, prioritizing, uh, keeping the best in-state players home. If you rewind it a bit, you know, a lot of people obviously thought Coda was going to be a duck coming out of high school in 2018. He was the number two player in the state in that cycle. And do you know who number one was? Hmm. Talanoa Hufanga, who's on the, the Niners now. Another guy in-state that was a super, super high-level player. Um, so it kind of feels like it's uh, like, you know, nature is healing with, with Coda coming back here. But um, how, how do you think this maybe shakes out with uh, the wide receiver room? Are you feeling, you know, a little more confident about kind of where that room is looking like you now know, with, with all the youth? You know, I, I like the youth and I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not opposed to it. You know, on, I know on the Twitter spaces, shouts out to them. They were saying, you know, feed the skinnies or whatever. And they had the mm -hmm. whole kind of thing with that. I, I, I like the idea of the youth going at there. They're a class together. I'm a big believer in if you get a class together, and you let these guys stay together as a group, then they all, maybe some of them have different opportunities at different times and they, they get an opportunity earlier, but there's something to be said about a group going through together, a class going through together and this special kind of relationship that they have together. Uh, I think the wide receiver room is, is an opportunity this year for a lot of guys to have a huge year right out of the gate. Maybe people across the country are not going to know some of these guys' names, Last year, I think, obviously, Chris Hudson had a great year, felt like kind of separated himself very early on, and almost it felt like was maybe one of the reasons why Micah Pittman was frustrated with his lack of production because it felt like the ball was going uh, in Chris Hudson's direction much more. And uh, But I just think that there's a lot of guys in the room who are going to be fine. Uh, I think that at the end of the year, uh, you saw a lot more production from them because of injury. <laughs> we You needed it, right? You had those great uh, senior wide receivers. And we said this last year, how when those guys came back, that was great. But it's also probably going to stunt the development a little bit of some of these other guys and getting these guys game reps and getting the chance to see these guys uh, get out here and play. So 
yeah, I really like the opportunity for these guys. Um, you know, the unique thing about this team is it's going to be very fast. I think this team wants to run. They want to utilize their speed. And I don't know if the Cristobal offense really wanted to be that fast. I, I know they wanted to be effective. They wanted to control the ball. They wanted to control the clock. But I don't know if they really pushed the idea and the notion that, to be fast. And I think that the, the defensive backs that have come in are incredibly fast. This recruiting class is one of the fastest we've seen in a while. And I think that's going to start to show up in this uh, landing recruiting. And I think that there's some guys in-house, in-state, that uh, are, are going to be attracted to this recruiting staff and, 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 and coaching staff. And again, not everybody in-state wants to stay here, right? So you have to have that as an opportunity as well. There's a lot of guys who maybe want to look outside the state. But, you know, if you look at, for example, when you had a couple in-house guys like you were mentioning, uh, they gave the opportunity for the new coaching staff to come in, let them meet them. They didn't get on the early commit thing or whatever else, and they jumped on it. But, I mean, look at a guy like Keith Brown. He comes in as a true freshman. He's starting at Ohio State as a true freshman. So when you come in, these freshmen are ready to play. They want to play, and they expect to play. And so this by giving these guys a unique opportunity in this wide receiver room, yes, if they get injured, we're in trouble. But if they don't, I think this could be a breakout year for two or three different guys. Yeah, and I, I mean, I want to clarify. I feel like, you know, youth can definitely be a, a positive and a negative, right? You know, you, you don't want to be too young at, at certain positions. Um, but I, I agree with you with, you know, it's definitely a good opportunity for these guys to to step up. Uh, heck, look at Dante Thornton. His first touch last year, first touch as a duck, what was a house call on a touchdown exactly. that he just, you know, sprinted and blew by the whole defense against Stony Brook, I believe. And then I think that was one of the reasons I was so encouraged by the Alamo Bowl, you know, as kind of gross of a game as it was, as we finally got to see these wide receivers truly utilized um, because it just felt like, you know, you had so much talent that was just on the sidelines or even the guys that were getting, you know, reps um, weren't really uh, getting super involved. You know, they had short intermediate routes, screens. And, and I think that um, this is a really unique group of wide receivers and, I think maybe the the youth that they have can kind of serve as a, a bit of a fresh start for a passing attack that's just been super pedestrian, uh, you know, the past couple of years here. Yeah, and it might help out Bo Nix. I think that you know, people are going to talk about how Bo Nix maybe is going to be limited or this, that, and the other. Or, and, and you know Ty Thompson's going to want to throw these guys. This spring is going to be epic. But I do think that this wide receiver group is very, like you said, very diverse. A lot of different body types, a lot of different heights. Uh, different sort of skills on the field. And I, I, I really thought Troy Franklin was going to have just a humongous year last year. And he really didn't because they didn't throw the ball to him that much, right? And, you know, he, I think he shined when he had the ball in his hands. But I think these guys are going to really excel once they start moving this thing around. Because, again, when you pass the ball, bad things can happen. But you also get the opportunity to have big plays. This offensive team for the last couple of years didn't have a lot of big plays. They had some running plays that were big. They broke a couple of big ones. They had some play, passing plays over the top a little bit, but they were mainly on slants or something else. They weren't the deep ball. And so I think you're going to see both of those. I think you're going to see guys air it out a little bit, but I think you're going to see a lot of intermediate stuff. They said they want to move the ball very quickly. You can't have a passing attack where you're throwing everything deep if you want to run a lot of plays. So I think they're going to, I think they're going to move the ball around. I think they're going to share the ball, which always makes a lot of wide receivers very happy in the wide receiver room. And uh, I think they're going to have a, a, a good year ahead of them. Yeah. I, I also just, I have, I mean, yeah, Troy Franklin was definitely a guy that everyone was super excited about when he came in, 
Um, we don't want to leave anybody off that we're, you know, maybe not mentioning here. You know, Isaiah Crocker is, is a, um, an older receiver that um, has been here for a while. I think he was a 2018 guy as well, if, if uh, I remember that correctly. But he kind of came on the scene a little bit towards the end after, you know, those injuries started piling up. And then Isaiah Brevard, he was an, uh, an All-American coming out of high school as well out there in Mississippi. So he's, uh, he's certainly someone to, to be excited about as well in this uh, receiver room. And then you also have um, Seven McGee, who who might uh, you know maybe split time between running back and wide receiver. We saw him uh, kind of utilize out there as a slot um, towards the end of the year. Um, looking up right now, I'm, I have the receiving stats uh, up on the screen. Hopefully, you think I should blow that up a little bit, or is it easy to read? Yeah, you can do whatever you're doing. Yeah, you're, oh, there you go. There you go. Just just to make it a little bit clear, but yeah. Um, but yeah, you look at you know the yeah, top four name. Top, yeah, three of these top five guys are are all gone now. But Chris Hudson, thirty one catches for four hundred nineteen yards and and two touchdowns. Um, he was definitely a, a building block, I feel like. And then just that pass from Anthony Brown to Troy Franklin in the Alamo Bowl, it just felt like wow, that's what we were that's what we were hoping to be oh, seeing yeah. all year. Oh yeah, and in the middle of that, like you said, no, that blowout, that was a great opportunity for us to just kind of feel like you finally got something out of it. I mean, at the end of that thing, that was a wash, right? And it just turned into a, just a nightmare. And, uh, you know, you got to see maybe a glimpse into the future. And I do think that Bo Nix is going to throw the ball down the field. And I, I keep saying Bo Nix, not to say that Ty is not going to be the guy or anyone else. I'll just say the quarterback. But I, I do think these quarterbacks, whoever they are, are going to be uh, blessed because I think they're going to have a pretty strong running game. I think they're going to have guys they can depend on there. I think they're going to have guys in the wide receiver room who are very hungry, who want to move the ball, and who are fast. And I also think they have a unique opportunity with seven. I think seven's going to really help out both groups. If they utilize him correctly, uh, I think he could be a real weapon this year. He's one of the most intriguing guys that they have on the roster. And, and another point that kind of just came to me just when we're talking about the passing attack and you know the wide receivers, I think maybe another reason just kind of trying to, you know, put myself in the coaching staff shoes that we didn't see them get, take a bunch of wide receivers. Can we talk about how loaded this tight end room is? This might be the deepest tight end room that Oregon has ever had. Uh, I mean, when you just look at all the talent there, I, I think that, you know, from a pass catching standpoint, they weren't super involved last year. So hopefully that's something that they can, you know, switch up a little bit. Uh, Terrence Ferguson and Spencer Webb, I think are looking like your primary guys for, for pass catchers, but um, but what do you think about that group as, as we kind of, uh, head towards spring football here in a little less than a month. I love that group. And I think that that was the group that I, we were kind of excited about last year when we saw these guys come off the bus and you were like, those are the freshman tight ends when, I mean, those guys showed up large. And again, I just think that this generation of a high school player comes in ready to play. And that just was not the case before. I mean, no offense to high school programs. They were producing as best talent they could have, but the amount of training, the amount of specialization, the, the, the detail work that these guys put into the off season, uh, specializing in one sport, not playing other sports, whatever the case may be, these guys are fine tooled athletes by the time they get there. And especially the really good recruits who they've been training, just like these guys in the draft, they've been training for this and they're specializing and they're working on specifics of their craft. And uh, I think that it shows up early and yeah, the tight end group is awesome. I thought Maliki did a great job last year. I think he was very balanced uh, in the be able to run, pass, catch, uh, you know, option. Obviously, they use them most of the time in the run game. 
and we and we saw double tight last year. We saw a bunch of different formations that I don't know if you're going to see next year. I think the tight ends might be the group that might has the most change of any group on the offensive side. I think the tight ends are going to really be altered. I would love to see him split out a little bit. Love seeing Spencer Webb split out, split out a little bit. Just a big body to throw the ball to, especially on third down. I just I never understood why they didn't utilize the tight ends more in this offense because I thought it suited Anthony Brown, especially in a rollout situation, to throw the ball five, seven yards, uh, ten yards the most. I thought was just perfect for that offense, and it just felt like they just underutilized the tight end group. And I don't know why because whenever they did pass to him, they got good production. And I thought uh, Terrence did a great job. Uh, as, as a young guy, you know, putting him in really, really intense situations early in his career. And I thought they, they both showed up. And I, I was really impressed with DJ the year before. I thought he actually was the, could have been the, the, the offensive player of the year, the year of COVID. I thought DJ Johnson was just amazing for them. I thought he was, he got a bunch of first downs for them. He got touchdowns for them. Uh, he made the quarterback position look pretty easy at times for Tyler Shuck. And it looked like he was one of their number one targets for a little while when they were in trouble uh, in a third down situation, even fourth down situation. So moving him to the defensive side, you knew you had something in that room because you're giving up a guy who was basically starting at the tight end position the year before. So obviously, and then obviously the Cam McCormick injury, another one was just a gut punch. Uh, he looked really good. He got that first down in that Ohio state game. Then of course it all fell apart. And so you're expecting him back, but, you know, again, I just I think that the wide receiver room is very deep. And again, going forward, that's a position that if you use correctly, that'll win you ball games. And uh, and and down the stretch, you're going to need that in the Pac-12 this year. Yeah, I mean, I, I got this picture up. I had to scroll back quite a ways, but from fall camp last year, you talked about just how big yeah. Terrence Ferguson and Maliki Montevall were when when they got here. Um, and I think that was another thing from from last season that kind of stuck out to me is that they put on a tremendous amount of weight. Like I think each guy put on around 20, 25 pounds in that area, but it, it didn't slow them down. Like they, they looked like college tight ends. Heck Maliki Montevall had a touchdown catch against Ohio state earlier in the yeah. season. So that's just furthering your point about these guys showing up uh, ready to, ready to play, uh, you know, pretty early. And, and I, that was one of the things that I liked about uh, what Ty's mentality was when I think I was talking to him, uh, after the Stony Brook game, we, we got him for media availability and he was saying, yeah, you know, we, we showed up. We didn't want to just be like, you know, another group of freshmen. We showed up to, to you know, fight for some jobs. Um, so, I, I mean, I am assuming that that, you know, with how competition is preached, um, you know, that was something that was continuously preached in the Cristobal era. I totally expect that to, to carry over to uh, the Dan Lanning era uh, as well. I think you have to be, if you're recruiting high competition players, you have to say competition is a part of the deal. You cannot say any positions locked, even if it's Justin Herbert coming back for his senior year, when he's going to be the number, you know, one quarterback picked in the draft or whatever, you still have to go in saying, Hey, everybody's got a shot. Everybody's got their opportunity. And a lot of it's lip service and, you know, parents get upset with it. Fans get upset with it. They think coaches are lying or something all coaches are saying that that's just breeding the competition. And, you know, I really like the idea of, you know, being upfront about it, being transparent about it and saying, Hey, you, I think if you're the best, you want to be at a place where the best are at and you want to compete against the best every single day to make you better. Who wouldn't disagree with that? So it's like, and nobody else wants an easier path. You want to compete against the best to be the best. Right? So if you're not afraid of competition, that's what you lean into. I think there are some, who say, hey, I want to try to find a spot where I can get in, I can get playing time early, I can, you know, put film on tape, whatever else. But 
you know, if, if you're not ready, <laughs> you put yourself in a unique situation where you have a first opportunity to play out there and you screw the thing up because you're not ready to play. So I think there's a big difference between high school football and college football. I think the best recruits out there think they can all play at this level. And you know what? Some of them can here and there for sure. But there's going to be times where they're going to be shown exactly where they're at. They're freshmen. And they need to know they're freshmen. And so uh, the, the welcome to the NFL moment that they always used to talk about with the NFL. Well, there's welcome to college football moment too. And for some of these guys, it's an injury, which is terrible. But a lot of these guys, you know, they have to go through that process of figuring it out. They're going to have good plays. They're going to have bad plays. They're going to have games where they play. They're going to have games where they don't play. And I just really like the idea of how they mix up the wide receiver room. There were some injuries that he got hit there last year. Hopefully this year they're healthy. And if you have enough guys in that room, and you got guys that are hungry, like Patrick Herbert, who didn't get to play last year, or Cam McCormick, or I think you're going to have the sky's the limit with this group. Brendan, uh, Brendan saying here, I don't want players who don't want to compete for their position. Could, couldn't That's agree true. more. Um, I mean, I, I think back to another example, um, you know, or two separate examples, actually. So we were talking to Seven McGee during fall camp after one of those scrimmages when he just got lit up by Justin Flo. And he was kind of saying that was my welcome to college moment. But like, I think, I mean, I thanked him for it because, you know, I, I'm, I need to be ready for that to happen in a game and, you know, kind of similar things uh, along that, uh, along those lines as well. But uh, another thing that I was talking about, I remember I was talking to Darius Clemens um, just about competition. Cause he, he was one of those guys that kind of came off the board pretty late in the recruiting process uh, out there from Westview high school in the Portland area. And I was kind of saying, you know, hey, man, you know, like there's already four receivers committed. Like, you know, does that kind of have anything to do uh, with your decision process? And he was saying, you know, I'm, I'm not I'm not afraid of the competition by any means. You know, I want to go against the best. I want to be tested. And, and that's why you see so many of these blue blood programs continuously get high level players because they want to be pushed. They want to get to the league. And, uh, you know, you know that you're going to do that and, and reach your the top level, uh, um, you know, of your skill. If you're going against those guys that are at your same level or even better. Right. Absolutely. And then, but you know, at the same time, there are families, there are other people involved in the recruiting process. It's not just the kids. And, you know, that's why I kind of like the transfer portal as well, because kind of gives maybe sometimes the kid wants to go place a family kind of wants me to go place B. He kind of feels the pressure. He goes to place B halfway through it. He's like, I still kind of like place a, maybe I'll try that out. You know, well, why not? You only got one shot at it. You know, you got to take advantage of it. So yeah, I, I, I totally agree. I think that, uh, you know, these kids are just looking for their opportunity. And so for some of them, the opportunity is the competition. For others, the opportunity is the open spot, or maybe it's a light room. And that's fine. Take the opportunity. No, no there's, there's no uh, negative thought on either side. It's just, I do think that over time, I think the better programs are going to have deeper rosters. And there's going to be guys that are going to have to just put their head down, go to work, get better at practice, and not really have the playing time. There's other programs where guys get a lot of playing time really early. They get absolutely torched and they maintain to not be of that great of a program. <laughs> so it's like, which one do you want? You want playing time and not really be that stacked up with the win column? Or do you want to come over here and fight for championships? And you might not get as much playing time, but when you're ready, you might have that opportunity. And then you're on a good team. And then you're a junior or a senior and you're absolutely ripped and you've gone through enough of the reps. You know exactly what you're doing. And now you can actually shine. And then your draft stock's going to go up versus putting up numbers as a freshman on a bad team. And then maybe you're, you're maybe you are set, but maybe you aren't because the team's not good. And you're going to have better recruits coming in. So the, the opportunities change. I like the long-term option. I like the student that says, hey, I'm looking to be the best program I can be at. 
because it's going to make me the best player. Go with it, ride with it, get your opportunity late, and have a great career. Other than put up numbers early. Now, there might be an opportunity for a quarterback that might be different because your quarterbacks obviously is a different sort of story. But I'm talking about a basic wide receiver, defensive back, uh, lineman, that sort of stuff, especially a guy on the line. You know, I look at a lot through the through the trenches. You know, guys on the offensive and defensive line, a lot of times they're just not ready physically coming out of high school. It's going to take them a year or two. Like you talked about the tight ends putting on 25 pounds. Sometimes some of these linemen have to put on 50 pounds. I mean, it, it, it's crazy at times. And a lot of that has to be done through the weight room, not, not through just hitting McDonald's. These guys sometimes are already coming in chubby. They have to lean, they have to lean all that up and then bulk. So it, it's, it's a kind of a different program for some of the, depending on the position groups. I love that insight, Ryan. Uh, wanted to switch it up just a little bit here yeah. on this episode of the Ducks Dish podcast. So we started the show uh, talking about Chase Cohen. That kind of trickled down into the wide receiver room and and the tight ends as well. You know, we both kind of are in agreement of hoping to see those guys more involved because they are incredibly talented and need to get the ball a lot more. But the other kind of uh, half of this uh, Friday flock talk on the Ducks Dish podcast, I wanted to kind of spend uh, talking about some of the priorities for Oregon as we uh, approach spring football in less than a month. Um, Don Johnson tweeted out uh, a little while ago the – now, first look at the Oregon football spring schedule. So I got it up on the on the screen here. First day of practice for the Ducks, uh, starting a lot earlier than last year, I might add. You know, when I was out here in Eugene covering spring football last year, it was all over Zoom, unfortunately. But that was basically the whole month of April. And then things culminated uh, with the spring game on uh, May 1st. But I think the big thing that you, I think, were talking about a little bit on your channel, Ryan, was that they have a practice after the spring game which is scheduled for uh, January 23rd. Sorry, not January, my gosh. April 23rd, got to slow down a little bit here. Uh, and then they have that last practice, practice number 15 of the spring on April 25th. What, what do we think about that? Yeah, I, I like that. I like that as a, as a coach, especially. I just look at it through the lens of the coach. I love that. I mean, you get to be able to come back after the game. You get to reset. You get to feel like what it is. It feels like the practice is – it feels like the season continues in a way, or kind of mentally – it feels like you don't just pack it up and you leave. You have that one other practice and you're like, all right, I'll see you guys next time. And instead of like you leave on the spring game and it feels like it's the end of a season uh, mentally. So, no, I, I love it. I love uh, I love spring practice. I think it's a time for it's time for the vets to get right. It's a time for the vets to continue to do what they're doing. If they need to fight for a position, then then they're, uh, you know, uh, maybe up against it. Maybe there's yes. a younger guy. Maybe there's a younger guy pushing them. And so they feel that they feel the pressure, right? I love those. I love those. And then I think that there's other guys who are young that just need to kind of feel the whole thing out and just get used to, I mean, there's, I don't know how many guys I, I've only seen one is it on campus. I don't know if otherwise you're on campus, you would know that better, but I think those guys coming in uh, that are, that are brand new, you know, they have to get used to the college lifestyle and just going to class and whatnot. I'm sorry, you, you were asking who's on campus already? Is that what you're asking? Yeah, no, yeah, exactly. Is that Anthony Jones on camp campus? Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Funny enough, I actually saw Anthony Jones when I was driving to get Dutch Bros the other morning because I think that was like near some of the maybe some of the housing. But I was like, yo, that's Anthony Jones. But yeah. obviously I wasn't I wasn't gonna say anything while I was just getting my coffee. But but yeah, it's a good point. I think he has the chance to be an impact player. I think he he's the guy who I look at in that draft class is I'm one of the most excited about. I think his position is unique and I think he has an opportunity just body type wise from what I've seen on tape to be able to compete uh, early, you know, kind of reminds me a little bit like Keith Brown where he just has the body type where 
he might be able to step in early and be able to fill the need. Maybe not take over, but uh, at least fill the role. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. No doubt. I mean, he's he's definitely someone that I think is is really intriguing as a as a true freshman. I mean, you look at uh, kind of his build. I think he's around six four, six five in that two thirty, two forty range. Um, he he was listed kind of as a jumbo athlete. I think on a couple of recruiting services coming out of high school because he also played tight end as as well as that uh, you know that edge spot. But I think the needs definitely there compared to the tight end, which we just talked about, is like overflowing with talent this year. Um, and, and I think that, you know, seeing him uh, get some playing time on the edge definitely makes a lot of sense. Want to get to some of these questions and comments uh, here in, in the sure. chat. Um, so we'll hopefully try to get to as many as we can. Um, but want to, want to, you know, show the, show the appreciation for you guys stopping by and, and, you know, chatting it up with us. Um, Josh Shepard says, man, I have been saying this for a long time, but especially with the current offensive roster, this team practically begs for a structured system, much like the days of coach chip. What do we think about this one, Ryan? I think we can kind of both give our, you know, little responses and back and forth on these comments and questions. Yeah. I mean, structured system in the sense that they kind of have a, a, a real focused direction. They know what they're doing. They have a, a place to hang their hat, I guess I, is how I'm, how I'm interpreting that. They have a, they have a plan, you know, it felt like chip was very planned. You know, it felt like he had, he had, he had a, a system in place maybe so much so that it kind of inspired other coaches to do a different way. I mean, he was kind of in a avant-garde sort of way, you know, where he kind of changed a little bit of how things were done with whatever it is, the place card or the, 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 the hiding of the uh, signals or whatever the game. I mean, there's a bunch of different things. I I, I don't know. I, I think this coaching staff is going to be, uh, uh, how do I say evolving quickly. I think that they're going to figure things out on the fly. I think these guys have a plan. They have an idea, but I don't know if they have a real true identity. I don't know if they know exactly what they're doing. I think they're going to figure it out. I think there's going to, they're going to be great at it. I think this coaching staff is going to be awesome, but it's going to, there's going to be some ups and downs. And I think there's going to be some question marks early. It's bound to be, 
And especially they're going to use the youth against them or something at some point in time. There's, there's bound to be something like that. But I really like the direction they're going. And offensively, it's still a little bit of a question mark. We'll learn a lot uh, in the uh, spring practice about their offense. That's part of the reason I'm so excited about the offense this year. You know, you, see, you look back at the, the crystal ball era and, you know, the offense is loaded with playmakers, but a lot of guys didn't really get the shine that they deserved. We saw a pretty effective run game, but I think there were times when they leaned on the run game when they could have been better served to get a little creative and it really came back to bite them um, in, in some pretty big instances. So I think the all the youth on the roster, the youth of Kenny Dillingham, I think it really lends itself to the innovation. He, he was talking on the coaches show about, you know, how when he was growing up um, and, you know, he was kind of a fan of Oregon growing up and it was kind of like, you know, it wasn't really a question of, how much was Oregon going to score? It was kind of how fast they were going to score. It was something along those lines. I might be paraphrasing, but it was basically just saying Oregon's offense was like two not you couldn't mess with that offense. And he kind of want to wants to restore it to to you know that former glory because that's still. I mean, this could be a whole other point of the discussion. Despite where the program has gone, I feel like the defense has really carried them when they've gotten to their highest peaks. You look at that 2019 season, Ryan. Despite having a defensive minded head coach now. I think most of the talent is on, on the roster is on defense. That's no slight to the offense, but I feel like if you look at it from a talent perspective, sure. most of it is on defense. Sure. But that fast, you know, uh, up-tempo offense, explosive offense, that that's still what a lot of recruits kind of uh, identify with Oregon. Yeah, I mean, you can change the Tigers' stripes or whatever the thing they have that line, or you can change the Tiger, you can't change the stripes or something. I think people identify Oregon with a fast-paced, uh, offense that scores a lot of points. So when Cristobal came in and he became a, not a fast-paced offense that scores a lot of points, people were very concerned. Now, you know, football is sometimes played in the mud and you don't score that much. I get it. But it feels like they were playing in the mud in the middle of uh, September when it was beautiful. And it feels like, you know, having an opportunity for recruits to come in. They love the splash of Oregon. They love the uniforms. They love the facilities everything else, but then all of a sudden the games weren't that productive. The offensive production wasn't quite there, what they wanted. Now, it was in pieces. You said they ran the ball, and that was an identity, but Chip ran the ball too. Chip, that was the whole thing. And so the ideology was is that, you know, you had a lot of these receivers. They were frustrated with it too. You know, sometimes you'd had some guys that, you know, played well. Lossier 2 and A had a great game in his career, and there's other guys who, you know, played well here and there. Uh, but you know, for the most part, they weren't throwing the ball that well. Uh, they were running the ball, running the ball, running the ball. And then they would get you over the top a little bit here and there. They could throw the ball when they needed to. Uh, and, and, and they got good opportunities. I think Darren Thomas is a very underrated quarterback in Oregon history. Uh, but he had just an absolute Ferrari to drive comparatively to the rest of the, uh, Oregon quarterback. So the love affair with chip is always going to be there. It's always going to have that. So lean into it. And even embrace it even more and make it legendary and turn it into something that uh, maybe every coach will start to chase. I don't think everybody, will, I don't think anybody will hit the highs that he hit with that. But at the same time, even all those highs that he hit with that still didn't cash in the big one with the national championship. And I think that's what Lanning was talking about in his intro presser. He was saying, you know, we're going to have a system that players are going to want to come play in. So that yeah. that's kind of, I think what you're talking about, you know, lean into it, lean into that former glory uh, you know, that, that excitement that, uh, you know, really made Oregon football unique and what it was. And I feel like the young staff, particularly with Dillingham, 
uh, is really poised to, to do just that. Um, there was another comment that I wanted to, to get to here. This one's from a KTM Brap Brap. Look out, Nico Iamiliava coming to Eugene. Uh, that's the five-star quarterback out of Warren High School right. in Downey, California in 2023. Uh, I feel like it's, you know, just kind of from who I've been talking to and, you know, what we're seeing on social media, I feel like, you know, he's pretty much been identified or solidified as Oregon's top quarterback target. You know, other names to, to keep an eye out or on are, are definitely, uh, you know, guys like Jaden Rashada out of Pittsburgh High School in the Bay Area. He just received his fifth star on 24-7 today. Um, and then also Dante Moore uh, out of the Detroit area, I believe. Right? I know he's in Michigan for sure. That's three three five-star quarterbacks, Ryan, and they were all here in January. But with Nico, I think it, you know, it really makes a lot of sense when you just look at all the factors that are in Oregon's favor, getting them on campus before the end of the – before the dead period started, the, the poly connection, um, just there's no doubt that he, you know – that they rolled the red carpet out for him and, you know, kind of treated that like an official visit capacity, even though uh, it was an unofficial visit. And then you look at them missing out on DJU and it really feels like, you know, this is the guy for Oregon. Yeah. And it's just time and place, right? I mean, you get the right guy at the right time. You get the right coaching staff at the right time. You get the right message at the right time. Uh, and, and you got to start with the quarterback, right? I mean, everybody focuses on that for a reason. And uh, so you get the quarterback right in the class. There's other guys who are lined up in that class. Obviously, some big names that you're looking at in that class, but you got to work on the quarterback. And you know that the more quarterbacks that you bring into this room, the more competition you're going to have, but the more potential you're going to have for the transfer portal as well. So you have to talk a good game to these quarterbacks. They have to know that they have an opportunity. And they're given the red carpet, you know, maybe even more red than the, the rest of the group because the quarterback's really the straw that stirs his drink. And we know this, and especially if you want to start throwing the ball, like we think you're going to throw the ball uh, with this offense, uh, uh, at least with, with the amount of play action that maybe we're thinking of, you, you're, you're going to, you're going to have quarterbacks want to come play here. Definitely the, the most important position for Oregon to hit on here. Um, you know, if you think about some of the other guys that they've brought in in the past, you know, Herbert played great, but I feel like he was, they were really just kind of lucky that he fell into their lap, Absolutely. seeing that he wasn't a high profile guy. And uh, he only, saw the field because Dakota Prukop was a nightmare. Right. Um, <laughs> just to put it plainly, that's how it was. Um, yeah. But you got to, you know, obviously you got to keep bringing high, high caliber talent in. I think that's why a lot of people want to see Ty Thompson play because he is, you know, the, the highest rated recruit and all that. But we know that that doesn't matter once you ultimately get to the college level and you, you got to put it on tape and, and, you know, make sure that you're competing your butt off. So uh, I'm excited to see how that quarterback battle, you know, ultimately shakes out here as we get to spring football. Frosty Dog Gaming with another question about the offense. Maybe, Ryan, you can start off with this one. Frosty Dog says, you think Kenny Dillingham's offense gives the receivers better chances to have more yards after the catch? Yes, Frosty Dog, what up? Yeah, I totally agree. I think that's one of the biggest differences you're going to have is if you if you have quick-hitting offenses that, that, that wants to pass the ball consistently, you turn basketball or you turn football more into basketball. You start moving the ball around. It's more like transition basketball. And yeah, you're going to have guys, at least, at least they'll pick up yards in the, in the stat sheet. They might not have the big hitters, but they're going to rack up five, 10 yards dang near almost every time they get the ball. And that's going to be huge for them. Guys like uh, Coda are going to really benefit from this. I think uh, if you look at Chase Coda's like uh, stats, you know, he's really good in the like 10 to 15 yard range. And I think that, you know, the opportunity to catch the ball and do something with it in space has always been every coach, offensive coach, number one 
tagline, especially Chip. That was the, really the whole point of Chip's offense. That's why they threw so many screen passes was because they sucked the defense in so hard with the run game that they made cornerbacks watch the run so much that they could throw the Z screen out and, and give the guys chance five, 10 yards to make a, a difference with a, with another blocker coming as soon as the guy catches the ball. So, yeah, I, I think that you're going to have a lot of innovation on the offensive side. I think the Ducks are known for innovation. Oregon's really leaning into that as a university. And the new identity of U of O is much more futuristic than it ever has been in the history of the school. And I think that this uh, program is going to embrace that as much as they can. And these kids are going to embrace it. They have a unique opportunity here that really no other athlete before them had before the last couple, three years with everything on uh, playing where it is right now. And you're going to be getting this new indoor practice facility uh, in the future as well. That's just going to take this thing up a complete another notch. I love talking about that. You know, Oregon's facilities are already just off the charts. That's not to say that, I mean, I think they were voted by, I think 247 had, you know, a, a ranking sheet that came out. I think that that was circulated on social media that was compo- compiled by recruits and Oregon was there at the top, uh, you know, best facilities in the country. And, and this is just going to take it to a whole nother level. So um, I think it's something in the area of like hundreds of millions of dollars. Uh, and it's not just going to be for uh, uh, Oregon football um, you know, obviously there's going to be that football field section, but I believe that other athletes are going to be able to use it too, which is super unique. Um, but oh, yeah. as far, yeah. And it opens up the Mashovsky to be used by everybody as well. So there's like a, there's a real, real big opening here for a lot of different athletics. Yeah. And then to, to this question that, that frosty dog had just to, to go back to that, I think that this, how can you not, you know, if you're, if you're getting Dillingham and you're looking at this, this roster, you got to just be super excited about all the weapons that you have. And you know, we talked about seven the gear earlier, definitely want to get him in space coming out of the backfield, or maybe even just on some quick crossers over the middle. Um, you know, Dante Thornton definitely has that speed. Troy Franklin, I think playmaking is definitely what really sticks out. I think the most about him. And then Chris Hudson as well, the, the yards that he was able to rack up in, in that uh, second Utah game. I think that that was really part of the bright spot that we, we saw from, from some of the wide receivers. Uh, Mikey G has a, has a question here. That's pretty interesting. Thanks for coming by Mikey. He's a longtime supporter of the show. So we love seeing people coming back. Uh, Mikey G says spaces was talking about whether the actual playbook is put to the side to not show cards. Kind of a thing. Seems like a reasonable question thoughts. Seems like the advantage of it is short lived during the spring game, I think is kind of, he had a follow-up comment there, but so yeah, the, so- so the playbook, like the guy is holding, like the Sean McVay thing where he has the writing on the back is like to fake out the the other team. Is that what you're saying? The actual uh, playbook's put to the side, not to show the cards. Like they're not operating off that playbook. Did you see the Sean McVay thing where he had all the writing on the back side of it? Like as he's, as he's, and they can zoom in on it and see all the plays and everything. No well, yeah. play and whatnot. I saw that with a, his play. It could be like a mic on the camera. Yeah, it could be like a Mike Leach thing. You know the story there where he like left the thing when he's like Oklahoma and he like left the playbook that was like the fake playbook. That's a hilarious story to look up on ESPN. There's like a great like uh, cartoon version of that. Like they tell the story. Mike Leach like left on purpose this like fake playbook. So the other team, uh, they don't want to show the actual offense. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mikey, what up? Dude, yeah, no. Spring game. I think coaches are paranoid about it. Uh, when they did the spring practice, they were urging people not to take video. And you know me, I like to take video as much as I can. 
and uh they were like no dude like you gotta like go away with that and uh they were uh and that was just the spring practice i get that they were on practice oh. but yeah yeah but 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 there was a there was a it wasn't just the practice time it was also the the uh, scrimmage time but no the spring game um i think coaches use it the most for recruiting and getting the kids have an opportunity to uh have uh, fans in the stadium they do that sort of uh, scrimmage all the time. They do that all the time in Yachtson. They have the, the whenever they want to have those, they, they bring in the refs and they have, they play a full game. They get dressed in the locker room. They go through the whole process of what it is to go play that game. They all stand on the sidelines. They have the same amount of time. They do all that sort of stuff to kind of replicate the game anyway. So I don't think it, they, I don't think they need to do, too much in the spring game for the uh, offense. I think, I think they're running. Yeah. I mean, they're probably not running everything. They're running a vanilla offense, but they're still going to, especially this spring game, they're going to want to showcase some stuff because these guys want to put film on tape that they can show later on and say, Hey, this was the ones against the ones and you made this great catch or you made this great uh, defensive stop. And those are the kind of plays that you still you see every once in a while on like uh, highlight reels and stuff. In the spring game, you can see the two jerseys and whatnot. So I think it's really big for recruiting, and it's really big for the young guys to try to make a name for themselves. I, I think that when I first read Mikey G's question here, I was definitely misinterpreting it. I think he was just saying don't show the whole offense because you don't want to you know, give give away you know, your best stuff, which sure. I think makes a lot of sense. You know, no coach yeah. wants to do that. But at the same time, you want to create some buzz and excitement. And, and we saw some of those plays. Like I think Troy Franklin had some pretty crazy grabs in the spring game. Um, you know, especially if they do get some more of those early enrollees, I still kind of got to do a little bit of digging to see who's ultimately going to be here. Um, cause well, I don't Chris know Ball, any, yeah, Chris Ball mentioned how furious he was when they lost the spring game because of such a huge recruiting pull it was. And oh so yeah. I know, and I know there's from that angle alone, just that it's very important to the coaching staff. It gives them a chance to bring a lot of people on campus. It's usually a really nice time of year or we, it, it, we just luck out for whatever reason. There's been some really great weather on the spring game. So. It's just a unique opportunity to fill the stadium and play some music and get it loud and do the thing. And then obviously it's also a huge fundraiser uh, for the food bank. It's obviously a big deal for them too. So it's going to be huge to see this year and they've been hyping it. Every coach has been, every meeting has been talking about spring game. So. Yeah. The spring game is going to be huge, but without a doubt, I mean, I didn't even think about it because we got to go to the spring game, which was great uh, last year in, in May, but it was just us, and then I think I don't even know if they had. I think they had the um, the you know plastic the cardboard cutouts that were still there from the 2020 season, but uh, yeah, it was just the media, so it was definitely a weird deal. But that is that, and then Saturday Night Live are the two marquee yes. uh, recruiting events. And if you're looking at Oregon, looking to create some recruiting momentum here, that they probably I wouldn't say they totally lost out on it uh, during the early signing period, and then in February, but it obviously wasn't an ideal situation for them. So like I think that the visitors that we see at that 2022 spring game and then the results that we see from that uh i think that's really going to go a long way and you know showing how much steam and, and momentum they've really created in this 23 class on the trail oh absolutely and i i, I think that they're, that's the real class that they're focused on i think that this class was a, a little bit of a band-aid you know it's a little bit of half and half uh, there's some really good players in it don't get me wrong but it's it, it's gonna be kind of looked upon that this 2023 class is going to be the real first uh, landing uh, class. I mean, that's just going to be, that's just going to be his, his handprint's going to be all over that. So that's going to be exciting because again, again, I think the, the, the Oregon brand is trajectory up, right. Uh, you know, 
the trajectory is good. So I think that, 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 that this coaching staff is, is uh, has a unique opportunity in front of them. They get to go and play a huge showcase game on day one, first game uh, in front of the entire country. Not many teams can do that and have a unique opportunity to. Again, I think that this coaching staff takes over a team that's very competitive. Not many coaching st- coaching staff, brand new coaching staffs, have that opportunity. These guys get to come over and take over a team that's pretty well stacked. I mean, how nice is it for the offensive line coach? He comes in, you already have five starters. <laughs> yeah. Mean, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> Clem's got a great situation, and, and I think that's another part, since we've been talking about the offense so much, that's another reason that I think I'm even more excited because – you know, how important is it, how crucial is it to have experience up front, you know, to, to break in a new quarterback, you know, whoever ends up being the quarterback, it's going to be a first time starting quarterback for the ducks. So it's going to be huge for him to, to just kind of have the security of, of knowing that he has a, a veteran group of guys, uh, you know, up front protecting him. Alex Forsyth could very well make a run at, at the, the Remington award for the, the best center in, in college football next year. He's, he's definitely up there with, with uh, the best of them. And I think that, um, you know, whoever ends up being the quarterback is going to have some really intriguing, uh, you know, skill guys to, to get the ball to. So I feel like so many of these factors are really just kind of snowballing to, you know, create all that buzz and hype that we've been talking about. But ultimately, you know, once we I'm not sure what kind of access we're going to have for spring football, but that spring game is going to definitely be, you know, the next you know big batch of, uh, you know, play that we can ultimately kind of analyze and get a better feel of where Kenny Dillingham has this offense. Oh yeah, we're gonna milk that thing as for as much as it can have. I mean, that that thing's gonna have to take over for months on end. I mean, I'm gonna run through that tape millions of times. It feels like, and I'll be there, and I'll be hyped to be there. And it, it's just a fun day. It's just a it, it's a great opportunity. I loved it when they had the baseball game on the same day, so we could go right from the spring game, football game, walk right over to the baseball game, and watch some baseball. Man, it was great. But, um, yeah, I think the Oregon brand is just really pumping right now. And I think that this coaching staff has really embraced it. And that's the most important thing to me. I mean, you know, seeing that picture of Dan Lanning and Joey Harrington was a really big deal to me. I mean, Joey's a year younger than me. And we, we grew up in the, damn near the same neighborhood, went to the same. We're both Catholic school kids from the east side of Portland. Like, bro, like, it's multiple generations of us like that that have seen that. And it's like, that's a real big deal. I mean. This guy immediately embraced the alumni. He jumped on the Zoom call. He brought these guys together. You know, he's done things very quickly, recruiting-wise, one thing, but uh, solidifying the fan base is another. I mean, there was legitimately uh, kind of multiple camps being created during that coaching search, fast. You saw it on Spaces and live. I mean, there were people who were just jumping on any single name and trying to, like, create a group, basically, to to, to solidify uh, their their opinion on the thing and, and and when when Dan Lanning came in he he had some uh offenses to mend I mean that's just natural any coaching staff's gonna have to do it but you know I see him you know with Tinker Hatfield this thing with this NFT situation they've got going on he's the first coach to wear the sneakers I'm a huge sneaker fan I'm a big Nike guy to lean into that to really embrace that to have the kids taking the pictures with the sneaks I mean dude it's about time. Like you already have that as a tool. Use it. Like, you know, Washington keeps putting up that same little Adidas Yeezy with the custom Yeezy. It's like a size five. They keep playing that same damn song the whole time. I mean, you've got a plethora of opportunity here. You've got Tinker, who's an alum, and you use it. You know, I, 
I've talked to Tinker numerous times. And where do I talk to him? At a duck game, at halftime, eating a pretzel, like just as a regular guy. Like people don't even know who he is. You know, he walk, people walk by him like he's just like a regular guy just eating a pretzel. This guy's a legend. Like without him, you wouldn't even have the Jordan brand. I mean, obviously Michael Jordan would be the greatest, but dude, the Jordan brand artistically and architecturally is literally designed by Tinker. The guy learned it at University of Oregon. He studied architecture at U of O. Like, let's go. Let's celebrate like the 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 story of U of O. Let's celebrate the alumni. Let's celebrate where these guys have come from. Make that connection. And it feels like some coaches are, for whatever reason, guarded about that. I thought Mike Bellotti did a pretty good job with it because he was there, it feels like, long enough. Obviously, Rich Brooks, you know, tried to do his, his thing. But, like, basically, Chip got to the point where he closed the door. And when Chip closed the door, didn't, not that guys couldn't come onto the sideline or whatnot here and there, but they just didn't have access. Didn't have access to the program, it feels like. Got really tight. Got really conservative. They, they, they felt like people were spying on them and sending them, whatever the case may be. The, the stakes got really high, too. You lose one game, you're out. I mean, that stakes can't be any higher in college football. It means I a love- lot. Million-dollar contracts, you know? So I get it. I get it. But I think Dan Lanning's done a really good job of trying to bring everybody in. And this spring game is going to be a unique opportunity. It's going to be his first opportunity to showcase to the Duck fans exactly what he's got going. Innovation has been the name of the game for for the Oregon program, really regardless of which sport, but certainly in football. Um, So I think that, yeah, I agree with you that he's really doing a great job, Lanning, of of leaning into that. And uh, we saw the video of – that he posted earlier this week of him when he hired Lachlan and brought on yeah. kind of all the guys that, that he coached up. So I thought that was really cool. Want to go, you know, just around 10 more minutes, Ryan, if that's cool yeah. with you. Yeah, um, wanted to to shift to a little bit of NFL focus because obviously we talk about pro ducks over on Ducks Digest on the Ducks Dish podcast as well. But um, we were kind of talking off the air uh, earlier this week. Um Pro Football Focus's Sam Monson released his list of the PFF 101, ranking the the top 101 players in the NFL. And uh, we saw three Ducks make the cut. Uh, We had Justin Herbert at at 25, Javon Holland at 61, and then Panay Sewell, the rookie, another rookie rather, uh, at 66. So um, maybe we could just kind of open it up there. And and I feel like it's only natural to start talking about Herbie because he's from Eugene, but but we don't have to talk about him first. Who do you want to talk about first? Well, I, I'm just so proud of all these guys. I mean, it feels like anybody who's a pro duck comes through. The alumni, I mean, I think the fan base really just loves the ducks, man. I think that's why it was such a girl, you know, nailed it, man. I love my ducks, man. And so you see him go to the pros. It's so rewarding. And, you know, there's been guys who maybe haven't had so much success. And there's guys who have a ton of success that you maybe maybe didn't expect. And uh, to see these guys come in and immediately make impacts. I mean, I'm so impressed with Javon Holland. I mean, he came in and, you know, Miami, competitive defense. But Miami's nothing like a huge team to jump into. I mean, that's a team that's still trying to find themselves offensively. They're in a pretty tough division. Uh, you know, Penne goes to freaking the Lions. I mean, is there a worse team in the NFL than the Lions? I mean, they're like <laughs> Seattle Mariners. Like, they're just like, you can't, dude, it's harsh. My dad's a Mariner fan. I mean, sorry to say, but the Lions is tough, man. And I have a couple of friends of mine who are Lions fans and who also are Central Catholic guys. So they're Joey Harrington guys too, older than Joey. 
but uh, they still got the picture of Joey in the Lions jersey or whatever, you know. That's just a curse. And so going there and being as productive as he was, and remember that first that first game that he had, there was a lot of talk about, oh, look, see, he got burned on a play or this, that, or the other. He's overrated. This is like in the preseason, you know. And, and Penny just came out and played just a solid, solid year at a very tough position on a Both really bad, on a really bad team. I mean, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I was just gonna say. I mean, with Panay, he was playing on both sides of the line too. When when sure. uh, I believe Taylor Decker was, was banged up, so the fact yeah. that that he was able to come in and make an impact early. Obviously, when you draft a guy that high, that's kind of what you're expecting. But he played left tackle for his entire college career, and then he made that you know relatively seamless. Uh, I feel like when he you know ended up, I feel like he was kind of immortal when he was at Oregon because just nobody could could match up with him. And then. He gets to the NFL and obviously had some some moments when you know you had that transition. Um, I believe. Let's see what what did it say? He uh, allowed 35 total pressures, which is just kind of unheard of at Oregon. But but yeah, like you're saying, you know, it's definitely a tough situation in, in Detroit. But um, you know, it's great to see him making an early impact. And I think it's so great to see these guys kind of just broad thinking here as far as the NFL success that Oregon's starting to have more and more uh, as well is you want to see these guys coming from Oregon making an impact early because it obviously, you know, speaks about the development that they have. But then if you dial it back a little bit more, you want to see Oregon not only recruiting the caliber guys that are capable of contributing early, but the more and more freshmen that I think that you see play early and maybe in some cases even beat out veterans that are already here, that that only bodes well for the the health and success of the program at, at both levels. Oh, absolutely. And that's exactly what happened with all three of these guys. I mean, uh, God, Penn A, they talk about him the first week he got there. I mean, he came into an offensive line group that was absolute studs across the board. I mean, starting five veteran guys, I mean, across the board, you had, I mean, absolute studs there. And Penn A came in and was like immediately, if not the best player on that group or one of within like a week. And I mean, we're talking about guys that basically all went to the pros and, uh, and, and so I'm just, oh my gosh. And then I think Herbert, you know, I mean, I named my dog Herbert. Okay. So, I mean, Herbert that was after, after Herbert played oh, for Oregon, yeah, dude, we got him, we got a COVID puppy and I mean, yes. dude, I mean, dude, Herbert is legendary. I grew up loving Dan Fouts. My, my aunt's uh, roommate in college was Dan Fouts wife. Uh, and so Dan Fouts was always like a family connection and it was, uh, we were, we loved this guy. I, I, have always said, I wear the beard for James Worthy and Dan Fouts. Like, you know, J- Dan Fouts, a legend, man. I mean, absolute legend. And, you know, it, I remember when they wrote it on the chargers and they said the, the, he was the greatest charger of all time, you know, and, 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 and a hall of fame guy and just unique, unique guy. I mean, it could just absolute cannon. And here comes. Justin Herbert, who I actually compare uh, to Chris Miller. Chris Miller was the quarterback in the 80s. Sheldon, same kind of story. Started as a freshman. Went to the NFL. Had a good career in the NFL. Nothing like Herbert. Herbert went in and literally became like the greatest player in the league. Like there were weeks where Herbert was the best player in the NFL. And we're like, this is Justin Herbert. This is the same guy that literally could like walk to Autzen Stadium. Grew up. In the shadow of Austin Stadium. You can't design a crazier story for this. And I'm just, oh, to go to the Chargers. And he has the picture of him when he's a little kid with the Charger gear on. 
Oh, I mean, dude, they talk about marketing. I mean, the Chargers have this thing buttoned up, and then they move into a new stadium. They try to completely redefine themselves in L.A. instead of San Diego, which is still weird to me. But this is the guy to do it. I mean, and and he is so genuine. He's so right on the money. And so is Javon Holland. He jumped in the spaces. He was jumping in. He was talking. He, he's just a genuine person. These guys, people are smart. That's the first thing. You got to give credit to these guys as an educator. These guys are smart, man. These guys know what they're doing. And on the field, they are showing up, man. And I can't can't be more proud of those guys. All the pro ducks, but that specific class right there is very important. And that class goes to show how important that 2019 Rose Bowl was, or that 2020, whatever that was, Rose Bowl. Looking at some of the stats from, from Herbie in, in 2021, 65.9% completion, 5,014 passing yards, 38 touchdowns to 15 interceptions and a 90.3 PFF grade. I feel like seeing Herbert succeed is, is probably, you know, I want to say it's, I mean, I was talking about how, what was I talking about earlier? Oh, I think uh, with Nico, how it would kind of be healing because they missed out on DJU. I feel like with Herbert, it's kind of healing for the Oregon fan base because Marcus, as amazing as he was, you know, ultimately just hasn't really panned out right now in, in the NFL um, you know, as a backup on the Raiders, it looks like uh, they're going to extend Carr, I believe, is a report that I saw. But, man, it, it's just so great to see a guy come from Oregon and succeed at the most important position on the field. Really, really likable guy, awesome personality, super, super humble and down to earth. But it's just it's crazy just to see how he's kind of making these jaw dropping plays one week after the after the next. Oh, yeah. Laser for an arm. I mean, a lot of those interceptions that he threw at Oregon were tips because the guys couldn't hold on to the ball. I mean, and, and so, no, just absolute stud and, uh, and, and, and shows up and does the right thing at every single opportunity. I mean, he just he's so good. His 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 golf tournament last year was a huge success. I mean, it just so good. So good. Love talking about the products here as well on the Ducks Just podcast. Uh, we have one more question actually specifically for you, Ryan, that I wanted to yeah. get on the screen before we get out of here. Mikey G asked, random question, Ryan, did you ever go to one of the, to those banquets of champions back in the day? Pretty sure I was <laughs> at one with Chad Coda, Bill Walton, Rich oh, Brooks, yeah. put on by the Oregonian, I think, at the Red oh, Lion. Oh, yeah. The, 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 the T-Bird at the Red Lion. The T-Bird, man. You remember that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Man, I loved, oh yeah, I'm a Portland Duck and uh, Portland, uh, Oregon Duck Club, Portland. And uh, oh yeah, I go to those events. I see, <laughs> oh yeah, I freaking love Bill Walton. Can we just talk about Bill Walton for a second, Max? What are your thoughts on Bill Walton? Bill Walton, okay, I, I used to not be the biggest fan of Bill Walton, but now I, I think I'm warming up to him a little bit. I He was at the, uh, shoot, I can't remember which game it was, but he was at one of the recent games, hoops games I was covering. And um, I was looking down- man. Okay, that, that's probably what it was. I, I was yeah. looking down from the, uh, the three reporter, chairs from Reporters Row, and I saw this dude had three chairs he was sitting on, and then the person next to him, uh, Mike, is it uh, Patch? Mike Patch? Uh, or no? Yeah, I Dave Patch. I Dave Patch. Thank what, you. What's he, your he name again? A, <laughs> he name he again? had a couple of chairs as well, so I was like looking at it from Reporters Row. I'm like, they not have like some chairs, some better chairs that they can give these guys. Well, Bill Walton, bless his heart, is uh, a little worse for wear when it comes to the amount of surgeries the guys had. I mean, the guys had unbelievable. He's, I think he's had double-digit foot surgeries and knee surgeries oh, and hips or whatever. Yeah, the guy and the guy's six eleven. I mean, the guy 
at his era looked seven feet tall. I mean, now, I mean, you've got seven feet guards, it feels like. So, uh, but he, he's, he's a true six eleven, And uh, so a lot of those guys, they just don't sit well, you know, at a game like that. So yeah, I'm assuming he wanted, he was like, okay, here's your chair. He's like, I need another one. I need another one. I need to be perched up. I remember Phil Jackson did similar thing. Phil Jackson, six, seven, but Phil sat on the big chair. It was like, he was on a throne everybody else was like beneath him it was like a very zen master thing uh but uh you know having dave pash sit next to him i don't think dave wanted to be this low so oh, when, maybe you, that was when, why. when he showed in on there i bet dave was swinging his feet <laughs> they were putting him up on a couple different chairs to sit there but no bill walton's a classic man uh guy uh brought oregon uh the, the professional national championship 1977 with the blazers right before my era Right before I was born, uh, but uh, you got you got to love Bill Walton, man. Uh, yeah, just to wrap it up on Bill Walton, I, I think I, <laughs> I kind of come around on him because I like the little history segments that he does about the areas, uh, you know, where, where the games are. I had to watch some of the Arizona State Oregon game last oh, yeah. night the because Sonora they were Desert. on the road. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. But uh, hey, we, we've gone a little bit over an hour here, Ryan. So I want to want to wrap it up here. Um, but before we get out of here, you know, where, where can people find more of you want to give you a chance to, to plug all your socials? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. I'm on uh, just, I'm on YouTube. I haven't really figured out how to do podcasts yet. So I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not, I haven't done anything with any audio, but I just on YouTube and on Twitter. Yeah. I, I'm a little bit on Twitter. I kind of ch- check stuff out there, uh, you know, Instagram or whatever. There's all that stuff out there, but yeah, sports chat five hundred three, man. That's me. So let's do this thing, man. Love talking ducks, and I'll keep talking. I'll do stuff, you know, just like everybody else throughout the spring or whatever. Do reviews and whatnot, but I keep it, you know, pretty easy. I I, I coach golf. I'm gonna start this golf season pretty soon, so let's get this thing going. Represent Manzanita Links, y'all. Let's go. The only now course in Tillamook County. It's the only one they closed. The other one, Alderbrook, got closed. So got to represent Manzanita if you go out to the coast. Right on. Well, that's where you guys can find more Ryan. If you want to connect with him, he's doing a bunch of awesome stuff and, and he uh, really appreciate all the support from, from you, Ryan. If you guys want to find more of me, you can follow me on Twitter at M sports. That's where you can find the fastest updates before I can get on the podcast or get on YouTube. But if you're here on YouTube at Oregon football, Max Torres, just do me a quick favor, hit that subscribe button. It only takes a second out of your day. And it is a tremendous help to what I'm trying to do covering the ducks uh, and you can also lock in with us on all the other social media platforms for Ducks Digest. We're at Ducks Digest on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. We got Ducks Digest forums. We got a daily newsletter that goes out that's free. So we're just everywhere. We got it all going on, trying to uh, ramp up the recruiting coverage. And then we got a bunch of hoops as well. So um, really appreciate you guys stopping by. Uh, and thank you to Ryan for for coming on the show on such short notice. So Thank you guys so much. Appreciate you stopping by and everyone have a good weekend. Take care. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. 
Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.